Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I I am your host. Today is January 5th, 2016. It's been a while since I've done a live show with a guest, but we have a guest tonight, and it's Matthew Lecter. Matthew Lecter is the founder of the Goodman Center and the architect of the Goodman Approach. He has a master's degree in statistics and is finishing up his doctorate in epidemiology this year. He has a 10-year experience, healthcare experience, working for companies such as Walgreens and Humana. He led the statistical analysis for introducing the new hepatitis C drug from Aviva into the market and helped to write the bundle packet system for the Affordable Care Act in conjunction with Geisinger Health Plan and Brown University. And he is in Kentucky. And without any further, we're going to introduce... Matthew onto the show. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the show. Hi, Monica. How are you? Thanks. I'm I'm good, thanks. How you doing? Good, good. Uh, actually, I've uh, moved down to Tennessee. The clinic is in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, I don't know why I thought it was okay. So Knoxville, Tennessee, not in Kentucky, mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Uh, so I've been really you know, watching you. I think we had you on, you know, over, a long time ago, over a year, where, you know, this was your thing you yeah. were building and dreaming. And I think with all the things going on, that an outpatient clinic that is really based on harm reduction and using science and medicine and support is what you, what you, you know, were going for. So I would love for you to just go ahead and tell us, you know, why you created it and what you have there. Sure. Um, well, as I have been uh, pretty much uh, uh, taking a look at uh, addiction science and addiction treatment in general and just uh, taking a step back and, you know, as I was going through my courses in epidemiology and I had actually specialized in the focus of addiction, um, I was really looking at uh, all of the factors and reading all of the clinical studies and started to gather these together and trying to puzzle uh, and put the pieces together as a puzzle to say, you know, what is the most effective treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, it it really came to be, I mean, it it just, you know, became this 
encompassing view to say, you know, that over here we have a good piece and over here we have a good piece. Um, and all of the movements and all the societies and all the treatments seem to encompass some of it. But there never was anything that really said we're going to take a full comprehensive view of mm-hmm. what really works without prejudice and saying we're going to shoot for the main goal of having the optimal outcomes uh, for any treatments in America. Right. And so that's when I started to uh, design the Goodman approach, which is based on five recommendations of all of the, the uh, clinical studies that are out there and say what works and, and, and what do people say and where are they arguing and saying, hey, this piece here works and we found this to be, you know, X amount effective. And if you kind of gather this together into a conglomerate, um, right. it becomes this, you know, kind of a real clear picture as mm-hmm. to the way that addiction treatment should be leading. Uh, but I think has really lacked in being able to move in that direction. Right. Um, um, you know, I have, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just looking at the, I guess I had pulled off what it, what you are offering. Um, I forget where I pulled yeah. it from, but it's really, really interesting. Um, we want to talk about what your approach actually is. It's really, uh, it's really all comprehensive here. Yeah, so if we take a look at each of the modalities, right, we have, uh, uh, you know, I, I would say that harm reduction in general has the largest umbrella uh, in terms of being able to capture everything. But um, in terms of the modalities and in terms of being able to categorize and quantify each of those modalities, um, you know, uh, even as, you know, as, as ineffective and in overall as AA is, there are some pieces that you can take from that be able to say, hey, you know, they really did do this right. Uh, smart recovery, they really did do this right. The Sinclair method, they did this right. And um, there are just, you know, all these studies that show, hey, we've got a piece of this here and a piece of this there. Mm-hmm. And if you put it all together, it really kind of looks like that there are five elements to recovery treatment that can introduce a person into spontaneous remission uh, from addiction. And, and the, 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 the optimal point of efficacy comes when you bring all of these treatments together into a single modality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we came up with this list, you know, of the five recommendations, which is what yeah. we consider to be the Goodman approach. Right. And um, those five are uh, pharmacological assistance, getting some medication to help you with cravings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second piece, of course, is evidence-based therapy, therapy that is proven to work and proven to change thinking over time, dealing with trauma, dealing with abuse. Um, and then, you know, uh, admittedly, coming from the AA source, um, the notion that there is a social component, and there are several studies out there and several people that have spoken about that addicts have a tendency to isolate. And if you can break that isolation, which is really where AA has probably the most efficacy is when it actually has this social aspect. And even um, even Lance Dodes admits to that, um, that there is a social component to AA that has some power to it. Um, so encouraging people essentially, and you don't have to necessarily copy that modality, but... Yeah, yeah you wouldn't want to do that. Right, but, you know, taking <laughs> them to... 
to to uh, break their social isolation and establishing uh, social goals and, and going out and, and reconnecting with their community. Um, you know, having that social support is really, really key. Um, the fourth one, of course, is vocational rehab, that people, as they feel like they can do better in life and they can perform better in their job, have a tendency to not use or not relapse. Mm-hmm. And finally, the, the fifth piece, and, and surprisingly, a really big piece that a lot of people miss, is general medication, general health, uh, and um, uh, overall monitoring of sleep, of diet, of nutrition, of um, um, you know hormone levels, of you know just uh, the 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 general uh, uh, um, uh, doctor or you know uh, practitioner. And, and engaging and making sure that they're medically sound and medically balanced um, is really a big key. And I was surprised how large a key that was. Um, there was a study that showed that um, that in 61% of the sample that they had um, for alcoholics, um, 61% of them suffered from some kind of sleep disorder. And if that sleep disorder was not treated, if it was not treated, it caused the likelihood of relapse to double mm-hmm. across a six-month time period. It's so significant. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to actually say, hey, we're not, you know, and they said no matter what, even if you treat everything else, if mm-hmm. you don't treat the sleep component, you're not going, you know, you have a much worse chance of getting them to uh, to relapse uh, or, or to stay sober. And yeah. as a result, um, it's just kind of mind-boggling that you look at this and you go, that is so key. It's so elemental. It's so fundamental that um, it's just surprising that not as almost, as far as I know, there is not a single rehab in America that actually directly treats that particular element. Well, um, I there think that there's something done that yeah, I know. No. On that point, I would have to say that I know people who, there's a guy who reached out to me who I think I kind of pointed him to Ken Anderson, who was drink, uh-huh. drinking a lot and wanted to, you know, was really, you know, floundering, talked about sleeping, not being able to sleep and using alcohol to sleep. I know somebody personally who had that issue with the sleep and yeah. then drinking to go to sleep. So, I mean, I've had people tell me that and people write to me about it, so for sure, I could see um, uh, how that could be a problem for some people. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do think, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, for some people they need the social thing. I mean, that's how I got yeah. kind of you know, rallied or kind of hoodwinked into AA. But I think that yeah. what, what's nice about having left AA is that there are people who don't need it. They don't need the social component, Matthew. And so what you have is you're, you're, you don't have the one-size-fits-all like I'm looking at like yeah. five, you know, things that you've listed here so that if it's somebody yeah. who actually doesn't need that to either learn how to to moderate or to quit whatever they want to do um or reduce their harm that they're not going to put in that oh they got to go sit in meetings and talk with other people when they really don't want to do right. that. Right? So and I mean, let, I think me, it's, let me take a step back. Yeah, let me take a step back and and emphasize and this actually does come to credit for from Kenneth Anderson. Uh, who um, has really uh, guided me in a lot of, of a lot of this discovery, and uh, the central aspect of having this being a patient-driven model, 
where the mm-hmm. patient actually says, this is something I want to do. This is something I think is going to help me. Yes, I'd like that. No, I don't want that. Yeah, uh, as yeah. health practitioners, it is simply ineffective for us to try and enforce a treatment that the patient right. is not going to be responsive to. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, so as a patient-driven model, that is exactly goes to your point, you know, that if somebody doesn't feel that they need that socialization, uh, right. that's something that we're not going to, you know, enforce upon them. Uh, and it's really, it, it's, it's just amazing um, the... Um, uh, the number of people that have come to our outpatient center and have said the most amazing thing about your center is I don't feel pressured. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, we just had a, a, a young kid, 18 years old. He's doing great right now. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, you know, I saw him last night and I asked him, I said, so um, what do you think of this versus, you know, the uh, other place that you went to prior to ours? He says, you guys just are not judgmental. You're not mm-hmm. judging me. You allow me to be who I am. You're letting me choose my choices, and you're supporting me in that. And that makes me want to do the right thing. Oh. And um, it, it was just, you know, I heard that from a, some, another patient um, earlier last week where he said, you guys uh, simply don't make me feel like you're confronting me. And mm-hmm. so many of the rehabs out there, particularly coming from a 12-step modality, Basically, right. you know, they stick you in a jail cell for 30 days. They charge you $30,000 and say, you're going to AA meetings and you're going to stay sober and that's it. Yeah. And um, it, you know what's most remarkable about that is the um, the number of people, when they reject that modality and they are actually in treatment, they can actually receive a diagnosis of borderline personality for disagreeing with the treatment. Wow. And that has happened, I've found, more often than not. Oh, my that God. That people say, he's not treatable, he's crazy, get him out of here. And they throw him out yeah. and give him a diagnosis of, of essentially crazy. You know, and yeah. uh, that's simply disagreeing with him. Terrible. It's, just, it's, it's really horrible. I mean, I've known some people who've really had a hard time who were seeking real help, like what you're providing. Yeah. I think your thing is going to really grow. I mean, I could really see it being a model. Can I read the, these five things that um, it talks about your approach? Yeah, sure. uh, Okay, so it says, the thing before it, it says, um, the Goodman approach attacks addiction and habitual behaviors, obesity and eating disorders, chronic disease, mental health, physical and sexual abuse, domestic violence, and recovery from occultism with five recommendations. In order to maximize your chances of recovery, we recommend, one, having access to therapy for habitual behaviors, mental illness, abuse, and family issues. Two, having access to a safe and reliable network of friends who protect and discourage you from violent and abusive relationships, as well as encourage self-improvement. That's fantastic. Three, having access to vocational rehabilitation. Four, having access to psychiatric medication. And five, having access to general medical treatment. The goal is to set up centers all over the U.S. to provide clubhouses for social support networks and engagements professional group therapy settings, vocational rehab, and guidance to medication and medical access. It's really good. It's really, yep. you know, big picture. It's really, this is what's needed. I really, um, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just had Thanks. to read that because I, I really thought that was um, really explained a lot about what you are going for. There was a guy who you, I mean, there was somebody, I guess, who came to the clinic who was a really heavy drinker. Can you talk about that yeah. or not? Uh, mm-hmm. We've actually had two cases. So we've only been open a month, but we've just seen some remarkable results. It's just amazing. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, as we're a patient-driven clinic, um, particularly for alcoholism, uh, if somebody wants to continue to drink and they want to learn how to control their drinking rather than maintaining abstinence, um, most people who come to a drug rehab uh, don't want to quit drinking. They just want to learn how to control it. Yeah. And there is some wonderful medication out there, naltrexone and Vivitrol, that have shown some very strong efficacy, particularly if you treat it the right way and you target the naltrexone in the right framework, particularly using the Sinclair method and a few other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a great book on that uh, called The Cure for Alcoholism by doc- Dr. Uh, Roy Escapa, um, mm-hmm. who talks about the Sinclair method. Right. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and it, um, so we've incorporated that model, but we've taken it a step further from just using the oral naltrexone. And for the really heavy drinkers like these two gentlemen that came into our center, um, right. we actually started them off with Vivitrol. Because if you're drinking from, from you know, morning to, to the wee night hours, um, and that's all you're doing is drinking, you really need to be shot up with Vivitrol before we move you to the oral naltrexone. Mm-hmm. And one of these guys was drinking half uh, a gallon of, of uh, tequila uh, a day. Wow. wow. I, I don't know how he's, he could have possibly have done that, but that's mm-hmm. what he was doing. And we shot him up with Vivitrol, and we gave him some uh, counseling and, um, you know, uh, treated some nutritional defects. And uh, within two weeks, he was down to drinking three drinks a night. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just dropped to nothing. Uh, the mm-hmm. other guy um, came in, was drinking uh, two bottles of Jack Daniels a day. Uh, mm-hmm. He had one beer last week. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is that if you talk about these abstinence-based programs or you talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, this guy had one drink last week. That, from our perspective, is an incredible success. That I is know. a story that says this is working. And this guy has maintained control. He's now doing and drinking the way that he wants to drink, which is simply one beer with dinner occasionally rather than every day. And AA would slander him and say, this guy's a total failure. I know. And um, it was so funny because I was on yeah. Facebook that you talked about that, and there was like, like a crazy stepper who was like, who would want to have one drink? And I was like, he does. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. he does. So, like, don't you respect yeah. that? It's like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to do that. It's like, we're not asking you. Here's a guy who's drinking, like, two quarts a day of clear out of, of Jack Daniels. And he, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting to see, like, the mindset. But, you know, yeah. it's changing. They are, because, um, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and it's so funny, the reactions to this, you know. I mean, there have been a lot of, from the, the separate community, a lot of negative reactions. How dare you tell alcoholics they control their drinking? Well, they are controlling their drinking. We don't care. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so for those who just tuned in, maybe I just want to introduce you again. I'm talking to Matthew Lecter, and he has a clinic in um, Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's called the Goodman Approach is that the way? If somebody Googled, you really the, want to the find Goodman you. Center, the, the Goodman, Goodman Center. Center. You go to www.goodmancenter.com. Uh, not the Goodman Center, but www.goodmancenter.com. Uh, okay. You'll see our website. 
Okay, great. I'll put it in the thing. So this is great. Now, I I do have the book, you know, by Roy Escapa, but I didn't read it mm-hmm. cover to cover because I've read, like, too many. It got to the point where I thought if I read another um, non-12-step addiction book, I was going to, like, jump out the window. But, you know, I mean, I read so many. and then But I sure. really, you know, when I met Claudia Christian and I, you know, interviewed her for my yeah. film, and then, you know, she's, we sat together many times, and I heard her story, and I read her book. Um, by the way, I'm going to say this again slower. Claudia Christian, her her film is called One Little Pill. Um, you can watch it on Vimeo and I think another platform. You can rent it or buy it. And her book is Babylon Confidential. And, you know, it was really, I, I mean, I can't. Has, yeah. So let me just add in there. She also has the C3 Foundation, which you can find online. Uh, and if you're looking for a physician in your area to treat you with the, with the uh, Sinclair Method, uh, she does have a list of physicians nationwide that are capable of doing that. Uh, we are on her list and the only clinic in the state of Tennessee that uh, does the Sinclair method. Wow, that's great. Are, are there other clinics in other states that do the Sinclair method? Do you know? Interestingly enough, there are not. Uh, we are the, actually the only outpatient clinic in the nation that does the Sinclair method. There are private physician offices that do this. Um, I think it's alternative, no... maybe, though. I mean, but do you, yeah. you give the shot in there? You have a doctor that if somebody came to your clinic, you actually are going to get um, the naltrexone and the Vivitrol in the clinic? Yes, yeah. Yeah, see, that's what's different it. about alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. you might be. Yeah, wow. So that's that's mm-hmm. exciting. And so what is the Sinclair method different than, like, say, Ham's harm reduction? Right. Well, it, it actually falls into the harm reduction uh, uh, umbrella, and Kenneth Anderson, who's created HAMS, is a big proponent of the Sinclair method. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, it, what it is, is it's, it's uh, naltrexone is an endorphin blocker. And what Dr. David Sinclair discovered was that alcoholics and most drug addicts are not really chasing the drug. They're chasing the release of endorphins that is caused by the activity of using that substance. Mm -hmm. And so if you get them to drink or use or engage in an activity such as compulsive gambling while they are on that, that medication, it blocks the endorphins. And so over time, what happens is that behavior just goes to extinction because they're not getting the reward anymore. And um, it is a phenomenally successful uh, treatment where these people, you know, we're seeing in some studies, uh, you know, Dr. David Sinclair had a meta-analysis of it in 2001 and Mm -hmm. concluded that the overall efficacy up to that point was 78%. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Roy Escanta says that in some studies it's as high as 85%. There was just a study that was released just recently last year that basically used the Sinclair method utilizing Vivitrol, and then they moved them to the oral naltrexone, I believe, uh, just yeah. like what we're doing here. And they got in a subset of a particular type of alcoholics a 93% success rate. Wow, that's really, really high. Yeah. And if they now, did a certain type of treatment in coordination with that Sinclair method, basically, um, they ended up with a 93% success rate in, in that population. It's unheard of. That's, it's just, it is the cure uh, for alcoholism. And, I mean, it, 
eventually is going to sweep the nation. It's going to be rather than you need to go to a meeting, it's like, honey, just take your pill before we go out so we can go have a good time, you know? Yeah, I, and, I do think it will, it will be that way. Now, can I just mm-hmm. bring – I want to bring up a problem because AA has kind of sure. um, hijacked our culture in a way that um, – so that what, what I know, and I think that you believe this way, is that – so say somebody is, a, is actually over, you know, uh, using pot, like is really um, – let's talk about some other drugs – but and that they can actually very often people can use other things and in the AA and 12 step world it's all black and white so if they came to your clinic um you, you like say you have a young person whose parents are brainwashed by the idea it's all or nothing abstinence have you come across any of that yet like all with the, the time. family the person My no family. You should see the the look of shock on their faces when they say wait a second you mean I get to decide what to do. They are yeah. so, some of these things have been retreads, are just so used to being told you're yeah. bad, you're an alcoholic, you're sick, it's your fault. Uh, you know, and that's really because doctors just didn't have a real cure, a real treatment. So right. instead of admitting their own, you know, their own ability to actually treat this, they turn around and, and end up blaming the patient very much in the same way that Alcoholics Anonymous and many of its members is unwilling to admit that their, you know, perfect program isn't so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as you stated, the, the saturation of the culture with that abstinence mentality mm-hmm. has really caused a, a, a large damage in the ability yeah. for addiction medicine to evolve over time. Right. But I think that in the past 10 years, we've really seen uh, a big backlash to that. And there's a lot of... Yeah. Uh, scientists that are really coming out and starting to say, you know what, this stuff really isn't so great. I, we, maybe we should be looking at something else. Um, right, you know, right. With, you know, with Lance Dodes and, of course, Kenneth Anderson and, um, you know, Santin Peel, who has been there forever, uh, you know, making claims about how Gabriel harm reduction really is the way to go. I mean, I think Gab- Gabrielle Glazer's pieces in oh, The yeah. Atlantic yeah. and her book, um, you know, really was the first person to say, look, you know, Let's like she really was very innocent. Like her, her, you know, how she began writing her book was not, you know, that she was going to be a big crit- critical person of AA, but it was that okay, women are drinking more in this way, and how are they, where are they getting help? You know, and and she went down a road that was like you know her own rabbit hole, um, that to see that this was all AA stuff or you know equine therapy or something, and it was very very interesting to. Um, you know, I think, but she's been important too with getting like kind of the horn uh, on some yeah. radio shows in New York. And I think we have to. The AA has needed to be criticized. It is not like some people. I, I meet people like in West LA all the time, and they're like, "Wow, like nobody's ever criticized." She goes, "I," you know, I was talking to this woman the other day, and she was like, "Wow, you know, I, I, everybody feels like you can't criticize Alcoholics Anonymous." Yeah, and I was like, they, oh. they really but, do. And there's scientists who hate it, and doctors, and they don't feel it. Yeah. But this is so. I mean, I really am so happy. You're, you, you're, you've opened this, you've done it, and it's the, it's the first model. And so I would say, like, um, how are you going to get like maybe some interviews on television so that people could, you know, have you? Well, we're got, we're got open a, to you know we've got a commercial that's ramping up in in February, and um, you know I, I do want to say that that there are an incredible amount of people that have you know become. Uh, the necessary critics to start saying, hey, you know, this modality of, of, of abstinence only and, and faith-based medicine uh, really isn't working. 
um, let's try and do something else. And, and while that was going on for the past five years, as you know, um, right. I had been trying to solve the problem, essentially, um, rather than just saying, here's the problem. I wanted to say, okay, now we've recognized that's the problem. Let's create a solution. And that really yeah. was, you know, the passion that I had for creating the Goodman Center, uh, you know, and with the help of uh, Scott Bradley, Dr. Ryan Unger, and, uh, you know, Lewis Frazier, um, mm-hmm. you know, we were able to all come together and um, and create this just this magnificent thing that uh, is just um, the, the patients are just, uh, you know, they're beaming with real enthusiasm for the for these ideas, and they are so responsive to us, um, feeling like they've been, you know, just locked, you know, that they just got out of jail, essentially, you know, that they've been locked down for so many years with only one, two choices, you know, drink or go to abstinence-based meetings. And now they have this, this feeling of self-empowerment and pride that is mm-hmm. really fueling and motivating them to get better. And um, one of the really wonderful things about harm reduction is that you you don't have to suddenly go hey, you've been drinking 20,000 beers a day, and now you're going to be completely absent for the rest of your life, um, where most people can't do that, let's mm-hmm. cut back a little. Let's set goals where we can move you, you know, into a direction. And not only that, but the medication that we now have today with Vivitrol and Naltrexone that are really enhancing this behavior of being right. able to bring an addictive behavior to extinction and then being able to channel that addictive behavior into something healthy. Um, mm-hmm. You can literally change that behavior overnight in a process that would normally take years. You can do it within a few weeks or a few months using this medication properly. And, you know, uh, these people, you encourage them once they get onto the oral medication uh, to, um, you know, while they're blocking the endorphins while they're drinking, um, mm-hmm. they're now exercising and now engaging in healthy relationships and they're now eating well. And all yeah. of that is now feeding their endorphins. And as a result, the brain starts pointing in that direction and saying, hey, I really like this. This is giving me my reward. And as a result, you don't have an addict anymore. And, you know, the concept that, once an addict, always an addict. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic is just not true. And it's certainly not true anymore with the new medication and new therapies that we have. Yeah, it's really fantastic. I remember learning from Claudia what she went through and someone who had become alcohol dependent and then, you know, is really kind of, a, you know, how she wanted it less and less. And didn't need to take the pill because mm-hmm. she actually didn't want to. She would like if she had one glass and went out with people, she would have it and use the pill an hour before. But uh, even the period of time over, I guess, a couple of years that I knew her, um, and that was she was somebody who used you know far more many years than I ever did, right? Because yeah. I didn't drink enough as a teenager, yeah. so it's not a, not a good comparison. But her story is that of cure, you know, and that, um, mm-hmm. that I just. Yeah, the people really can be um, cured, and either for those that want to still be able to drink, like your guy who was doing the two Jack Daniels a day and really wants to have one beer, right, and not 16 yeah. beers. Yeah, right? right? I mean, this is, right. you know, so it's we're really... we're talking about drinking socially or drinking normally rather than you have to stay abstinent, you know. Right. We've got right, something right. out there where somebody can come back into society they don't have to be, you know, kept off onto the sidelines in, in, in a strange, 
you know, cult-like society or in some, uh, some, you know, meetings that promote abstinence, they can go into society. They can focus on their church. They can attend church functions. They can attend that office uh, party and not have to worry about feeling or acting ridiculous because they finally do have that alcoholism or that alcohol dependence under control. And the medication, the therapy, um, you know, the social support, the regulation of sleep, all of these things, and even nutrition, which is a huge factor that, again, most rehabs are not addressing uh, mm-hmm. and can be a difference of a 50% efficacy between giving somebody mega doses of vitamins in order to boost and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, jolt the body back to health really shows that there is a huge reduction in cravings when you do that. When you finally correct the system and put it back into balance and then you control those endorphins, these people, they're, they're right back into society and they can go to their church and they can focus on spirituality directly and the religion that they want to focus in. They can go to work. They can go to a bar and not have to worry about what is going to happen. And that is the most tremendous thing to see that because mm-hmm. that is the freedom that they've always wanted and have never been able to achieve with the, the current medicine that we have. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Um, now, as far as the group, the uh, the center, uh, there are, you know, these non-12-step groups that have existed like SMART and harm reduction are meetings or women for sobriety or moderation management, right. these groups that have existed before, are you going to have, or is there, like are you having harm reduction meetings there? You are. Can you tell me about yes. it? So, uh, I know about it, but people who are listening may not know about it. Can you tell us about uh, that? Yeah. So we are we are starting up meetings. It's going to probably be next week. Uh, we're getting together the format and everything else. Um it is, uh, I, I will admit firsthand that a lot of it I stole from Kenneth Anderson. Thank you, Kenneth. And, um, yeah, he's listening uh, a in. Lot of his con- <laughs> <laughs> right. he's, on, so he's in the chat room. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of his concepts, a lot of smart recoveries concepts, I am not uh, ashamed to steal from people what works. And mm-hmm. so uh, we're using a lot of REBT. We're using uh, a lot of the things that come from the HAMS network. Uh, and we're just grouping it together, and we're calling it the Goodman Approach for um, just for convenience purposes. But a lot of this is based off of all the evidence-based techniques that have already been out there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I mean, so you have some groups, and uh, mm-hmm. who, who was, yeah. And um, how long did it take you to get it all together? And you know, from the time you had this in your head to this here now, it was. Um, God, um, it was probably a five-year process when I started to compile all of the statistical studies uh, to when, as you recall, I wanted to originally do a nonprofit. Right, uh, right. And um, from that, um, actually, it was uh, Louis Frazier who uh, I met, and and we kind of had, had the idea that this is something that really we do need to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. But... In actuality, simply because of the medical system we're in, a profit model actually has a tendency to spread faster and do better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we chose to go with the profit model simply because in uh, the American system of medicine, that is what uh, can permeate 
faster than a nonprofit organization. And we wanted to get this out. We want to expand as fast as we can across the nation uh, with these clinics. Um, wow. So, wow. And, and yeah. how, um, how big is the space, like square footage? What do you have? Uh, I would say that right now the original space is about um, 2,500 feet. Mm-hmm. I'd say so we've got uh, we have uh two therapy rooms, a massage therapy room, uh an intake room, a um uh the lobby, um a very uh, a very large uh group therapy room and then the nurse practitioner station and, and of course the, the general uh uh working area. Uh and it's a really nice setup. Um uh we um really wanted to go with a, a med spa kind mm-hmm. of um, model uh, right. to give a sense of serenity and peace and gentleness and compassion uh, for when people walked into the door. You know, so we have, you know, the Zen music playing and um, um, right. people are only allowed to, to speak in a whisper volume, uh, you know, and um, so we have basically everything on site. And the space is colored, you know, with uh, hardwood floors and, and a white on the walls and, and some green pastels. And, um, uh, you know, Lewis uh, did a really good job, and, and his wife did a really good job. She is a uh, professional interior design and uh, mm-hmm. really did a phenomenal job of creating the space and, and, and just had a, a wonderful vision. When you walk in, it's a really soft feel, uh, unlike a lot of these rehabs where you just kind of see the, you know, the cement walls and you feel like you're pretty much walking right, in the prison, right. you know. Um, yeah, it's, um, I just went to your yeah. page, so I just want to introduce you again if anybody's listening in. So we're talking to Matthew Lecter, and I went to goodmancenter.com, so there's no the. It's www.goodmancenter.com. And um, Claudia, beautiful face, showed up on the page yeah. as I, whatever page I Googled. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, you want to talk about that or wh- wh- how she got on the page and what's her involvement and then maybe talk about who well, works there? Yeah, Claudia Christian, who was uh, the um, uh, TV star who was on, uh, you know, was the lead role in, in the TV show Babylon 5. Um, it was really funny. So when I had started just in its infancy, started to collect all these studies, I was really starting to investigate the use of naltrexone and was following a lot of the abstinence uh, views of how to use naltrexone. And actually, Claudia, in one of the groups, reached out to me and said, you have no idea what you're doing. She said, you need to really look at the thing plant method. I said, what do you mean I have no idea what I'm doing? She said, stop talking about uh, uh, naltrexone with abstinence. It doesn't work. You have no idea what you're doing. And uh, we just kind of maintained a correspondence throughout the years and it really was um, her piece of introducing me to the Sinclair method was really, I think, one of the center stones that started to create this thing and make it evolve. And obviously, when we finally got the center open, you know, I I, uh, I reached back out to Claudia and, and said, hey, we got the center open. Look at this. And she was like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. You know, and uh, so we're yeah. actually still talking. Um, and, you know, she's very interested and, and is wanting to get, uh, you know, some personal engagement and is considered coming down and seeing the center. And um, mm-hmm. uh, so um, she was uh, more than happy to put an endorsement for us on there. I'm so glad. Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, now, you are, you've been open a month, 
And um, mm-hmm. how how do you see it growing? Like, would, would it? Yeah, I mean, how's it going to grow so that there mm-hmm. would be one in L.A.? There really needs to be one yeah. in every big city to start, yeah. right? You started yeah. in Knoxville, yeah. which is smaller. Um, mm-hmm. But tell me how it could grow. We're, yeah, well, we're we're considering several different options. Uh, there have been several people that have uh, contacted us actually already requesting yeah. a franchise. Uh, and we are considering doing the franchise model in several areas. There's a gentleman in the Bahamas, a gentleman in New York City, and a gentleman in L.A. who all said, hey, I'd like to start a clinic out here uh, based on your model. Would you be interested in selling this as a franchise? Um, mm-hmm. So we're considering that. Um, and what we really want to do is we want to test this model out, uh, make yeah. sure that things are, are running smoothly, go through a three- to six-month period before that. And, and once we hit that and we proved our efficacy and published some studies, uh, we, we're going we're gonna to expand like gangbusters. And um, uh, we see in every city uh, something that, admittedly, I have stolen from a guy named Percy Menzies in St. Louis who has the uh, Arca Midwest uh, Clinic who does a very good job out there doing Something similar. He's not a harm reduction advocate, but he's uh, very much into the naltrexone and Vivitrol approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what he did was he basically created a, a hub type model where you have several outpatient clinics in the city, and then you have a centralized inpatient detox. And mm-hmm. we're taking a look at utilizing that so you can get uh, from the front to the back and all the way through where responsible for your treatment. Uh, at this point in time, we are um, partnering with a, a treatment facility for our detox, um, and eventually we're, we're interested. We're considering um, possibly getting our own over time. But have the, you had uh, any women come? Have you thing. had any women come to the center? Oh, yeah. Yet? Yeah. 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 Surprisingly, it's, it's much higher than I expected. Uh, typically, you see about 20 to 30 percent, um, and I think we're about uh, 40 to 50 percent women have come into the center. So uh, we're doing real good in that aspect. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, our model, not only is it scientifically valid, but financially and in terms of the healthcare system, it really is moving with the times. Um, there have been several studies that have come out and it's basically stated that there is no efficacy uh, for uh, inpatient 30-day stays mm-hmm. over a solid outpatient program. Yeah. And so the you. Affordable mm-hmm. Care Act has basically said you know, there's a, a piece in the Affordable Care Act called the Mental Health and Parity Act of 2008, and it basically says insurance is required to pay for addiction treatment, but it must be evidence-based. And as a result, Insurance mm-hmm. is basically saying, no, we're not going to pay for 30-day inpatient treatment anymore. Mm-hmm. And so now... That's pretty good. All I'm glad these, to hear that. Yeah. Well, that is the reason why Betty Ford and Hazleton had to combine, because Betty Ford was going out of business. Right, right. And, you know, these these 30-day massive, you know, uh, you know gigantic centers are, are now, you know, archaic dinosaurs. Yeah, they uh, really they're are. just not going to be part of the medical system, and in twenty, thirty years, they're just not going to be here. What's going to be maybe, here? Maybe they'll be retreats again, or back to becoming camps, because these places well, have taken over some beautiful possible. places in the country. You know, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, really a I, shame. I it, it, yeah, 
Uh, I, I there, mean, is, there is some, uh, we've got somebody on our staff that is actually uh, looking at something called EMDR uh, uh, therapy, and, and she particularly has an effect of EMDR with horseback, uh, with horse riding. And mm-hmm. um, there is that she is currently right now uh, trying to, uh, considering putting a study together to see if there actually is any efficacy for that and addiction. Um, there certainly is for trauma. So obviously the next step is to prove that out. I'm sure that if it's connected to one, it's probably effective for the other. Uh, so, you know, some of those retreats would be helpful. Uh, but well, you overall, know, can I I'll just jump in here for about the horses? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a place called uh, the Gentle Barn, and it's kind of mm-hmm. um, it's a good 50 minutes away from me in L.A., but I, I went out there, and um, you can hug, you know, the cows. Actually, cows like to be hugged. But they work with abused farm animals with kids who are in the city who have had trauma and have been abused, and they do it works really well. Like they've seen that with dogs yeah. who work with the military guys who all have mm-hmm. PTSD. That um, yeah. the working with uh, like you know mindfulness or a good meditation or learning how to be present. You know, I mean, kind right. of that can. Right. But the thing with the animals, I mean, and the horses can be expensive. But if horses have been abused, yeah, there is um, something that's so much more therapeutic than sitting in a circle talking about yourself. That to yeah. get out and like that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. And the, I think the only the part of AA which you know, and you know, I don't like AA at all anymore. <laughs> but that the idea, and, and not to overdo that, but to think about another human being or another animal, and and doing mm-hmm. that, forget about, um, you know, not to they should we should forget about ourselves, but we don't have to be obsessed with ourselves all the time. Yeah. So I I think right. it's. Uh, I, I think that there is certainly some clinical efficacy <clears throat> that could be proven out there. And, uh, you know, down the road, looking into something like those retreats. Uh, but most likely those would be only for 7 to 14 days. You're, not, you're just not going to see a, a 30-day stint anymore because um, rehab uh, insurance is just not going to pay for it. Oh, and I'm so as glad. A result, I'm so glad, yeah. Matthew. Yeah, that's like yeah. really good news because it's really people can't leave. Like uh, alternatives in yeah. in L.A. is you know by Dr. Kern and um, Doc, Dr. Jaffe started it, and it's you know they were moderation guys, and it's like, um, but it's one week. You know, it's like forty hours a week, and there's a longer program. But you know, people mm-hmm. could take off a week, and then they reduce yeah. it, reduced each week. You know, it's like doable. But I think that yeah. there is still a need, and it's expensive. Um, it's a good mm-hmm. program, but it's expensive, and I think there's a need for. It's like this. I don't know the you know the average person affordability kind of go in yeah. and right as you design it for each person. Right, right, um, and that's that's part of what we consider is um, you know uh, we have made ourselves financially competitive. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted to be kind of in that middle realm where uh, the blue-collar worker or the white-collar uh, worker could come in. And, you know, again, I'll, I'll go back to the wonderful thing about if you're an opiate user, let's say you're a pill popper, you're a heroin addict, you can get shot up with this Vivitrol. And guess what? You're not getting high. That's it. Wow. <laughs> you know? There's wow, no so it works, with the, it works with opiates? It's going to be like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge, um, and, huge movement! Oh my God, I'm like, I'm excited yeah. for you. Yeah, I, mean, and, I and didn't know that result, it worked for that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you can shoot somebody up and they're not going to get high for 30 days, guess what? 
they don't need inpatient. All you need right. is right. an inpatient <laughs> detox center and an outpatient center, you know. And so this is really the, the, the direction that mm-hmm. addiction medicine is moving, is to a simple inpatient detox center and then an outpatient. And uh, so we think that we've really been able to grab onto this model where a lot of these other clinics who have these gigantic, massive, you know, facilities that have been so used to these 30-day stays and have fed the, the till with these $30,000, $80,000 bills, mm-hmm. you know, are suddenly, you know, starving to death. Uh, and they're just holding on to these old union contracts, essentially, just to survive. Um, we're much leaner and meaner, where our costs are, are much more contained, uh, as a result, uh, and, you know, basically anyone around here in Knoxville, uh, we've undercut their prices by, you know, several thousands. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, the idea is that with this new medication, these no treatments, inpatient 30-day stays have just become obsolete. There's no need to have to go uh, to take off work, uh, to leave your family. Um, you can be treated on an outpatient um, you know, in, in an outpatient facility, come after work, get your medita- medication, get your treatment, uh, you know, and continue to live the life that you're living. And it's actually more important and it is effective, much more effective mm-hmm. to do that because while you're on the medication and you're living the life that has caused you to go into addiction, you're yeah. still experiencing those cues. And so you have to deal with those triggers on a daily basis while you can't get high. And right. as a result, you can really work with those things and figure out what the problem is and unravel that ball of yarn um, while being directly in dealing with your life on a day-to-day basis, which is so much more effective than throwing somebody into, you know, a can for 30 days right. and hoping that they're going to come back out and everything's going to change. So wow! I want to just tell people again who you are. We're talking. Let me just tell them who you are again. So people listening, I'm talking to Matthew Lecter, and he has the Goodman Center, but it's www.goodmancenter.com. He is in Knoxville, Tennessee, and um, Matthew and I have been actually talking to each other for years. He's been on the show before, but he has created these outpatient clinics in Tennessee. It's the first of its kind using naltrexone and vivitrol and harm reduction techniques, um, motivational interviewing. You use that, too. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these things, I don't even know yeah. what. Motivational interviewing, uh, EMDR. Craft for Families. Mm-hmm. Actually, Craft is a great program for families. Um, mm-hmm. There's a book, Beyond Addiction, that Jeff Foote wrote. Did you ever read that book, his book, Beyond Addiction? I have not read that one. Yeah, no. that's a good one. Um, yeah, yeah, it's some really, really good stuff. But this is... Really, really. Oh, insurance. So I, I, I knew that I wrote something down while you were talking because it popped into my head. Um, yes. So the insurance people, I want to say this first and then ask a question. Must love, would love, love this and see this coming. But I started to think they about, do. you know, how rehab is so overpriced, and it was one of the things as they started to pay for it really raised all of our um, healthcare insurance premiums. And I think yes. it was responsible, and it's a terrible waste. And they were paying for people to be driven to, um, you know, AA meetings like Colorado was, you know, for $1,000 a day, Anthem Blue Cross was paying for this. Has this stopped, yeah. like, or, or is, do they, are they on to this now? And can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, oh yeah. So, so insurance is very, very aware of the ineffectiveness of inpatient treatment, and particularly the abstinence-based treatments uh, out there. They don't like it. They see mm-hmm. 
these people coming in and out, and they're the ones that are having to pay for it. Right. Uh, so they're very sensitive to the idea that why are we paying $30,000 for this again? This guy's been in here four times in a year. Uh, mm-hmm. So they um, are really starting to crack down on this, and they're utilizing the Affordable Care Act to say, you know what, you don't have any evidence. Um, and so, unfortunately, we don't have to pay for that. Um, they are becoming much more friendly to outpatient centers, and they're very open and willing to say, oh, you're an outpatient center. Yeah, yeah, go. Uh, oh, you do Vivitrol. Yeah, we love Vivitrol. Um, mm. Because mm. the efficacy, there was a study done by both independent studies, done by both United and Cigna, that showed that there was a huge amount of cost savings and strong efficacy utilizing Vivitrol for opiate addiction. And from their studies, uh, using real-world evidence that they had uh, in their uh, data systems, and they've got, you know, they've got thousands of people uh, looking at that, uh, it showed that there was real um, cost-effective savings uh, using this medication. And as a result, they really don't have to um, pay for uh, inpatient treatment especially if they have a center in the area that is utilizing Vivitrol. So they're very, very welcoming to us mm-hmm. um, uh, because we know it works, you know, and it works on a cost-effective basis. Uh, we don't hit the pack pocketbook of the patient as much. Uh, we are an out-of-network out uh, center, as most drug rehabs have to be. But um, we're working to get into an in-network basis, and we're going to be uh, 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 talking with and, and consulting uh, with many of these um, insurance companies that are uh, on the docket, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, United, Humana, Aetna, Cigna. Uh, and um, there have been uh, a lot of outpatient centers that have successfully done this, and we're going to copy this modality, where mm-hmm. after about six months and you prove out your efficacy, you can then go to them and say, hey, we're saving you a whole lot of money if you send your right. people over to us. Right, right. Uh, and they're very welcoming to that once you kind of prove out your, you know, your valid, your value. So uh, mm. eventually. Oh, my God. It's, so, it's really great. Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, um, sorry, it's really exciting. Yeah, it's exciting to see that you, you, what you've created. And um, I was thinking of, okay, have you created pamphlets for, say, people come with family supporting, like, so the wife is really pissed mm-hmm. off at the husband. And yeah. um, do you hand them a certain book yet or you know, I mean, how are you dealing with the other the yeah. family around it? That's you know, does is, is still brainwashed once again by AA on TV. That is one of the most yeah, that is one of the most interesting conversations we have is yeah. when you're sitting there with uh, the wife or you know or the husband uh, who is you know dealing with this uh, person who's suffering from alcohol dependence, and mm-hmm. they're going, "You want him to drink?" <laughs> yes, we want him to drink. Right, so. Um, you know, having them actually believe in this has been the the most difficult obstacle uh, is actually getting people to believe that a cure exists, you right. know, that a real medical solution exists, and this really works. And getting them to believe it, um, you know, when you tell them, yes, there's this medication that exists, and by the way, it's been here for 20 years and nobody's using it, you know, and it has an efficacy of 80, 90%. And if you do it right, and, you know, um, 
all you have to do is just have them do what they normally do, and the medication works on them. And they just stare at you completely lost. I mean, like a deer in the headlights. Like, I, I you know, this is not registering mm-hmm. um, because they have been so brainwashed to believe that abstinence is the only solution for these people. Right, it's really right. And- yeah. And treating people like adults, like, I mean, even when I first interviewed, you know, the, the whether it was smart, I think it was smart for the first time, and I was just coming mm-hmm. out of AA, and he was like, well, we ask people what they want to do. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, we ask yeah. them what they want to do. And I do yeah. think that with teach, treating people with respect, like the Center for Motivation and Change, I called and I said, yeah. look, I need somebody who's a Ph.D., who's been trained by you, who's in Los Angeles for my family. And so, you know, I went, we went to see this woman, Dr. Emily Cavell, and, you know, amazing, amazing training of, like, meeting the person where they are at right now. And, you know, you could see that, you know, the people in the room, I was in my family, just trying to, like, you know, um, that it was so new. And even though I had left AA, I had spent decades in it, but that, you know, I started reading books. Like, I actually had to, like, retrain my reactions and how yeah. to, and you could see how I could see, and I, we're getting low on minutes here left, but that why AA would suck people in because the family gets so mad at them, then they go there, and that even though the guy's sober, they're still pissed off at him, and so they're going to give him the cold shoulder, and they go to AA and they get the hugs, and oh, we love you. But if the family learned when the when the when the family member is you know sober or not drinking or not you know, like you know you can drink so the whole thing is you can have a beer and not be an asshole it's that we just don't want you to drink a whole bottle of gin right <laughs> yeah. Doesn't know how to, and so it's really good, like positive reinforcement when the person is doing, mm-hmm. but don't invite them when they're drunk, and like there's all kind of right. new techniques that these a lot of families are clueless about, and um, yes. so I was so curious. So we, I'm going to start wrapping it up. We have two minutes left, just in the last okay. minute. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a story that's, that's relevant to that. Um, I've got a, a nurse practitioner who actually worked for the first ten years of her career in a. Um, uh, in an abstinence-based rehab before she came over to work with us. And, you know, we instructed her. We said, we want you to ask the patient what their goals are. And she sat down with her first patient and uh, said, okay, so what are your goals? What do you want to do? And the patient said, well, I just want to cut my drinking down. I only want to drink like one or two a night. And she walked out of the room, and she just had this complete blank look on her face. And she looked at me and she said, for 10 years, I have never asked a patient what they wanted. Wow. And it was complete shock on her part that she never realized that. Right. Well, it's good. It's a big deal. Yeah. Okay, so we have been listening to Matthew Lecter. I'm Monica Richardson. And Matthew Lecter has just created this, uh, I think, fantastic uh, from, from across the pond here. It sounds great in, in Knoxville, Tennessee the Goodman Center, but again, it's Goodman Center. Um, We will have you on again. Uh, Claudia Christian has a great film that explains harm reduction if, um, uh, and actually the Sinclair method, if you want to see that, One Little Pill. Um, Uh The film, The 13th Step, I interview a lot of people in that film, is available briefly. Um, Hey, did you ever get a copy of the film? No, you never sent me one, but I did go to your opening in Chicago, if you remember. Yeah, well, that's right. You were there. I changed it a little bit. I'll send you a copy. Um, yeah. Just send me your okay, new thanks. address, and I'll yeah. send it to you. But I want to thank okay, you, great. Matthew. Thank you so much. Sure.
for joining me tonight, and I wish you a lot of luck, and we'll have you on again in maybe in three months, and you can give us an update. That sounds great. Thanks, Monica. Sounds good. Okay, thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night, Matthew. Good night.